We're looking at the eighth and ninth beatitude this morning um, about the inevitability that if we stand with what the things that we've been studying together in the beatitudes, where does it lead? It leads to misunderstanding and persecution. And who wants to sign up for that? Um, these are hard words, but they're good words, particularly as we come into Thanksgiving and we have to be with family. Uh, who are disappointed or disagree or uh, upset that we have chosen to follow Jesus or because of just the way we stand and the way the things we represent rather than being welcomed and encouraged they find a way to rain on our parade the joy of following Jesus so let's pray again and just ask the Lord to help us this morning uh, as we come to this word. So just take a moment and pray quietly for someone near you or around you to hear the voice of the Good Shepherd. Take a few moments and pray for yourself to hear the voice of the Good Shepherd for you this morning. I'll take a few moments to pray for me to hear the voice of the Good Shepherd as we come uh, to share this, uh, this morning, this tr these truths that are here. And Jesus, we pray this, uh, these things, asking that you would help us. The promise of hearing your voice is a great comfort to us this day. Thank you, the Lord, that you are here and you're not silent. You're eager for us to listen. Help us to listen today and to hear what you have for us. For Jesus, we pray in your name. Amen. So let's hear these words again. Uh, verse 10, this is the eighth uh, beatitude. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Uh, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Um, we have been studying the Beatitudes. We see there are three things that are happening here. First, it starts with the proclamation, okay, of joy. So all of these are an invitation to joy. Even eight and nine are an invitation to the joy of your Savior. To know more joy in your life is to understand how verses, these two verses, 10 and 11, fit into your story as you go into the holidays. As you think about what you're going through with your family, your neighbors, where you work, with your spouse, um, you know, with your children, um, there's an invitation here. So the proclamation of blessed is makarios. It means this invitation to intense delight. Now, next Sunday we'll be starting Advent, and the theme of the series will be there is good news of great joy for everyone, which is the angel said that to the shepherds. So here's always an indicator of how we're doing is how great is our joy? How much joy is going on inside of us? Is our cup overflowing with joy? Jesus said, in this world you will know the fullness of joy. But so often, you know, what's going on in all of us is that that joy is draining out of our story and our life because we're 
fashioning cisterns, um, cups for ourselves that are cracked and can't not hold what God is pouring into us. It just drains right out of us. And we go, what happened to all my joy? I was so joyful and now I don't have any joy. Where did it go? Uh, We've been studying our Generous Justice uh, book from Tim Keller about uh, ministries around uh, the country where people are practicing justice and generously showing God's favor and kindness through trying to establish what it means for righteousness sake, for people to live meaningful lives and have meaningful homes and places to work and uh, sustainable housing and income and all those kind of things. But some of that that came out of, of stories that come out of them traveling and a group of people moving into Sandtown in Baltimore. And one of the favorite stories that I, that I like that comes out of that is that uh, the, the, one of the brothers was visiting the church and he'd been visiting this church for a while, African-American church. And every Sunday there would, uh, there would be a guy standing in the back of the church during the service saying, help me Jesus, have mercy on me Jesus, heal me Jesus. And he would just stand in the back, raise his hand and, uh, and that would go on and of course people would just let him go and all that. But one Sunday, one of the African-American matriarchs there just got really like, this is enough, <laughs> you know. And she stood up and she said to the congregation, don't do it, Lord, he leaks. So, uh, you know, so the part of the problem for all of us is that when we come to church on Sunday, we're leaking out all the good things that God's pouring into us. So how does God heal those places in our story so that we're not afraid Uh, to trust him when we go into hard situations. So when you go into hard situations and your anxiety and your fear kick in rather than joy, you're leaking. You leak. You have carved for yourself a way of trying to hold on to the things of God that are your own effort and your own strength. And what Jesus wants to invite all of us to today is, I want to put in place in you This reality that not only is your cup, your life full of joy, it's overflowing with joy. But for that to happen, God has to do a work through the blessing of Jesus showing us how to apply these truths so that we don't leak. Actually, we begin to say, I wonder how this is going to play out and I wonder what God is going to do and how is he going to work in me and my story so that I don't leak out the joy that's promised here. So the first thing is the proclamation. The second thing is the path that we go on in the Beatitudes. And then the third thing is the promise of the Beatitudes. So we're looking at two this morning. So we're gonna go back, just go back through the Beatitudes real quickly. Uh, The first four are uh, Beatitudes of of, uh, need. Uh, it's what one commentator says, when you understand the first four, they take you to your knees. They show you your need, that I am poor in spirit, that I am mourning, I'm brokenhearted, that I am uh, so lacking uh, what it means to be meek, which means to have a disciplined strength. I'm just so undisciplined. I'm so all over the place. Um, And then verse six is, I'm not hungry for the things that really matter. I'm not thirsty for the things that are eternal and consequential. I'm so easily just satisfied with snack food rather than with 
the food of God's righteousness for my story. So those are the first four, four of need. The next three are help. So uh, I love the way this commentator talks about it. When you pray and live the first four, what happens is the next three are you want to stand up and love and express that love to people. So always the indicator in my heart, in your heart, of how we're doing is that when people don't act the way we want them to act or treat us the way we want to be treated is are we merciful and compassionate towards them? So again, uh, Greg prayed and we need to continue to pray and I've been praying for Kenosha, Wisconsin and what happened there this week. And regardless of where you are in this discussion or debate or what the verdict was and all those things, with the people you disagree with, do you have mercy for them? Or do you write them off and just want to flip the TV off and judge them? Or you listen to commentators or you read things and you want to spit and scowl versus, man, Jesus, come and help us. Help this person. We need help. We need you to help us. So when you're not in a good place, you're going to stay mad rather than merciful. You're just going to be always critical, always cynical, always judgmental always stingy, like Ebenezer Scrooge. Bah, humbug. You know, things can't really change. So we had a, a sort of a street party uh, in our neighborhood, and I was talking to a woman who's been a teacher here in the Cambridge area for many years, and I was trying to lift up a little joy, lift up a little story, and I was telling her some things, and she was so skeptical of everything. I was just, I mean, I was just throwing out little things, you know? And she goes, do you really think that? Do you really believe that? Do you think that's really possible? And I just realized I, I was just coming up against a woman who did not believe what I believe. And rather than, again, just sort of pulling back and going, man, what's wrong with you? I just thought, man, I, I want to figure out a way for Valerie and I to befriend her and her husband. Love to have her over for a meal. But I watch her walk by our up and down Pemberton and... Uh, and I pray for her when I see her. I just pray that, Lord, may you help her to see these things are possible. Not only are they possible, but they're more than possible. And so the, the next three are tied into mercy. And then I love this picture of the pure in heart. So when you are pure in heart, here's what happens is the eyes of your heart, your imagination is at work. So Rather than seeing all the problems like Elisha's servant, where you're just surrounded by all these needs and demands and your to-do list is shouting at you or the shame of your past is just kind of haunting you and you're just very problem-centered versus promise-focused to say, where is the promise of Jesus showing up in this? And so remember when Elisha saw how the servant was caving under all the fear of all these soldiers surrounding them, Elisha prayed for him, open the eyes of my servant. And again, when your imagination kicks in, when the Bible begins to inform your spiritual sensitivity, you do have a sixth sense. It's a sense of spiritual awareness so that you can see that God's at work. You can see what God is doing, and it's filling your heart not with fear and dread. It's filling your heart with hope and expectancy because the gospel changes everything. 
There is good news of great joy, the angel said, for everyone who looks to Jesus and say, Jesus, you are who you said you are. So again, as we kind of wade into this this morning some and go there, just remember Jesus said, I tell you these things so that in me you may have peace. He's talking to his disciples right at the end of John 16. He says, I'm telling you these things because I want you to know my shalom, my flourishing. I'm telling you so that you will not leak. (laughs) My shalom will be making you so that you can hold what comes next. Because he says, take heart, I've overcome the world for you. So um, there's nothing that we're up against, no scheme that we're up against. There's nothing that's going on around us that Jesus has not died for, paid the price for, so that you and I would know with real confidence that Jesus is with us and for us and he's able to redeem the circumstance. So let's look at a verse that many of you know, James 5, 16, 17, 18. It says, rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Uh, People throughout my journey will say to me, what's God's will for my life? Clyde, I want to know what's my will. And I'll say, 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. This is God's will for you. So think about what you're going through right now. Are you rejoicing? <laughs> Are you, does it immediately move you to pray? Um, uh, I've just been blessed to be around people that they will listen and we'll be talking. And they'll say, we need to stop and pray. Uh, one of the women who's influenced both Valerie and I a lot, she said, Clyde, never end a conversation where you don't pray with those people. Uh, but to be with her is that she would stop and want to pray. And her husband was a great modeler of this. Um, again, uh, when we think about praying continually, uh, I was a young uh, theologian, young seminary student, and I met him. And we would be talking together about something, and he'd give me stuff to read, and I'd read it, and I'd be sharing with him. And I'd say, well, Dr. Miller, I've been reading this, and, and these are things are so excited. And I could see he was listening to me, uh, and he was really paying attention to what I was saying. And I was thinking he was going to take what I was saying and build on it and just, you know, start, keep preaching. He'd say, Clyde, we need to stop. I need you to pray for me. And I'm kind of looking around going, I'm the young apprentice here. You're the gifted 50-something guy who, who I just admire and I love. And you're asking me to pray for you? I mean, whoa. So here's one of the ways to know it, that you can have some help this morning. If you're feeling prayerless, dry as the desert riverbed is, Uh, when you pray continually is you're having other people pray with you and for you. So just today, ask somebody to pray for your praying. Or as the Puritans like to say, pray until you pray. Pray. Just keep asking and seeking and knocking. But here was this godly man that I really loved, and he would not hesitate to ask for prayer. Now again, you, you all have heard me say this, and I want to appeal to you again is you're never going to see a greater miracle than someone asks for prayer. That is a miracle of humility, surrender, vulnerability. And this is the way you push back against the darkness. This is the way your joy will flow back to you. Is what are you struggling with today? 
that you're just staying siloed in your disappointment, your frustration, your fear, and you're not asking anyone to pray intentionally over what you're going through. Uh, brothers and sisters, hear Jesus say to you, humble yourself and ask for prayer. Um, it could be a life changer, a game changer. The whole trajectory of your life could change if you will hear the shepherd saying to you, humble yourself and ask my people to pray for you. And oh my goodness, stand back and be amazed. Uh, Rick Downs, who was uh, the pastor here before me, good friend, uh, we'd be in conversations about stuff. And he'd say, brother, you need to pray. And then I'd say, okay, I'll pray. And then I wanted to do something. And he said, and then you need to stand back and be amazed. Stand back and be amazed. All right, so uh, just what does it mean to pray continually? And then what does it mean to give thanks in all circumstances? Um, it means you're not thankful for the circumstances. You're thankful for the way God could meet you in the midst of your circumstances. Because if you're being misunderstood, persecuted, not treating well, if your skepticism is just controlling the way you interpret your reality versus the salvation of our Savior, um, then uh, be thankful that Jesus has died for your skepticism. Be thankful that Jesus has died for your anxiety. Be thankful that Jesus has died so that you wouldn't be overcome by your problems. You'd be overcome by him and his great love for you. Many times it doesn't mean our circumstances are going to change. It means that we're going to change. One of my favorite stories is a guy that I uh, worked with. So uh, you guys, for those of you in the church, you can appreciate this. This guy was super gifted, amazing artist, but he was a deacon in our church. And uh, he was getting more frustrated with things going on in the church. He didn't like this. He didn't like that. So we're in a deacon's meeting and things are just going sideways. And so, um, you know, so uh, I said to him, look, why don't we just stop and pray? And he looked at me and he stood up and he took the agenda and he ripped it. And he goes, I don't even know if I believe in prayer. And he walks out of the meeting. That's when you're a, a pastor, you're going, shouldn't I be doing something else? Like work for the post office, work for UPS. Here's your package, Amanda. Thank you. Have a wonderful day. Here's your letter littered. It's a, oh, I'm so thankful. Versus, I, I mean, oh my gosh. Now, this guy was being just beautifully humble and real. You know, you can work with real, can't you? <laughs> he was just so hurting, so angry. So a group of us began to pray over him, pray with him, and talk to him days and days. And then at some point, he came back to me and he said, Clyde, I can't believe how different things are. I can't believe how much everybody's changed. I mean, these people I didn't like and I didn't, couldn't stand to be around, or now I believe in prayer. I just can't believe how everybody's changing. Of course, he was making a joke that he was the one that was changing. And could I share with you and encourage you today that maybe your greatest need is not that people in your family need to change or your circumstances need to change or whatever, because Jesus is after your heart. He's after you so that you look more like him in the face of suffering. Our good friend Tim Keller says that God never said that we wouldn't suffer, but that when we suffer, we become more like Jesus. And if you're a follower of Jesus, that's the deep desire of your heart. I want to look more and more like Jesus. 
Another miracle that I've experienced this year, this guy that I know very well, uh, I've known him for 50 years, and he's the kind of guy that's, uh, he lights up the room, he sucks all the oxygen out of the room, he's extremely funny, extremely articulate, extremely successful. I mean, he's a big personality. And this past year, he's been reading the book, Gentle and Lowly, that we studied. And, uh, and I've watched as God has gotten a hold of him and working in his heart. And this is what he said to me a few months ago. He said, Clyde, I'm weary of all my boasting and my pomposity and my pretentiousness. He said, I realize that so much of what I do that's out there and, you know, like that is just I'm hiding behind that. He said, I want people to talk about me as being gentle and lowly. I want people to describe me that way. Now, again, that's catching a vision of what does it mean to become Christ-like because of what Christ has done for us so that we know that when we go into adversity, when we get to this place where we're being called to, where we're being called to be peacemakers, is that we shouldn't be shocked when you try and be peacemakers. If you try and be a peacemaker, you better duck. (laughs) You better get ready because if you try and bring together two people who can barely talk to each other or start praying and invite people into conversations and there's a lot of pain and anguish over it, oh Lord, have mercy. But let me tell you about the beauty of it. Let me tell you about the glory of watching people who really had grown to hate each other, forgive each other, and begin to rebuild their friendship. That's part of our calling. That's part of our story. We are to have a ministry of reconciliation. Actually, everybody in this meeting this morning who follows Jesus, you should read somewhere in your job description of following Jesus. You are an ambassador for reconciliation. That's, you're a diplomat into darkness to say there is a better way, there is a different way, there is a way to forgive and start over with people. There is a way to bless people who have mistreated you and misunderstood you so that you begin to find not so much the circumstances of the outcome, but the one who's made that outcome possible, the thing that thrills you. That's when you know you're blessed. So when you read these words, Uh, be persecuted for righteousness sake and that word righteous means goodness when you're trying to be God's goodness to bear you should rejoice when people kind of push you away or say that's not what I want or what's wrong with you or leave me alone because you're already dwelling in the kingdom of heaven here's the promise where what you really long for people who don't know God, who live in opposition to God, you want them to have a foretaste of heaven. You want to bring heaven to earth for them in a way that they go, that's what I want. That's what I want. And again, we should not be shocked that it takes time. Like when that deacon got mad and tore up the agenda and stomped out of the room, I go, well, I hope he finds another church (laughs) to go to. I hope he finds another place to go where he can be that stubborn and that mean, and God bless him. Uh, But I hope he leaves us alone. No, it means that how do you pursue somebody like that? How do you believe that they can change? Again, hear the good news of great joy. The gospel, the good news of who Jesus is, what he's done, what he's doing, changes everything. Do you believe that? Do you believe there's nobody in your story that God cannot change? There are no circumstances that God cannot change. Because if you do, 
you find joy in the midst of watching God do the impossible because he's done it for you. And then you go, wow, wow. But you should not be shocked, nor should I be shocked, when things do not go well. Now, for Jesus, he fulfilled this for us, didn't he? I mean, you look at his life, his story, misunderstood, mistreated, shamed, blamed, uh, humiliated, falsely charged, and sent to die in our place. Now, what gave him courage? What put courage in his heart? Because he learned to surrender to the will of his heavenly Father. He, He knew to be wisdom and holiness and righteousness. And so as you go into this Thanksgiving holiday, as you go even today, come to the table, uh, there's no greater relief than to pray with Jesus, not my will, but thy will be done. Knowing that that might bring externally problems, persecution, suffering, but there's a greater good because you know that your reward in heaven is so great. Um, uh, I haven't been to Ellis Island. I'd love to go someday. But you know, people who go there to look and try and find their story, their ancestry story, find their name written in those big uh, login books of people who migrated to our country. But when Jesus is talking to his disciples, and they're pretty impressed with what they're doing, he said, I want you to learn this. Learn to rejoice that your name is written in the book of life. When you know your name, when your reward is, I know my name's written there, but here it even gets better. It's written on Jesus' hands. Uh, we're living a day of, uh, I mean, I'm, I mean I, I've seen a lot of tats and tattoos up here. So, so I, mean, I mean, not that they're not down in North Carolina because they are, but some amazing tattoos. But can you imagine what it would look like to see Jesus' hands and your name is written right there? You know the pain of being engraved on your hand? Uh, But here's the most amazing thing, is that Jesus' name, I mean, your name is written on his heart. It's engraved there. You're so precious to him. You're so valued and treasured by him. And when those things are true, we're willing to go into a broken and sad world and go through anything because we know we're adopted, we're loved, and we're assured that our name is written because Jesus wrote it in there in the book of life. Let us pray. Father, we thank you this morning again for the promise of the word that comes to us today and helps us to believe um, that we belong to you. And we pray now that you'll come and help us as we come to the table. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.